Section 79 of The Man Who Laughs by Victor Hugo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by William Tomko. The Man Who Laughs by Victor Hugo. Section 79, Part 2, Book the Fifth, Chapter 4, Fascination. It takes time to rise to the surface, and Gwynplaine had been thrown into an abyss of stupefaction. We do not gain our footing at once in unknown depths. There are routs of ideas as there are routs of armies. The rally is not immediate. We feel as it were scattered, as though some strange evaporation of self were taking place. God is the arm. Chance is the sling. Man is the pebble. How are you to resist, once flung? Gwynplaine, if we may coin the expression, ricocheted from one surprise to another. After the love-letter of the Duchess came the revelation in the Southwark dungeon. In destiny, when wonders begin, prepare yourself for blow upon blow. The gloomy portals once open, prodigies pour in. A breach once made in the wall, and events rush upon us pell-mell. The marvellous never comes singly the marvellous is an obscurity the shadow of this obscurity was over gwynplaine what was happening to him seemed unintelligible he saw everything through the mist which a deep commotion leaves in the mind like the dust caused by a falling ruin the shock had been from top to bottom nothing was clear to him however light always returns by degrees the dust settles moment by moment the density of astonishment decreases Gwynplaine was like a man with his eyes open and fixed in a dream, as if trying to see what may be within it. He dispersed the mist. Then he reshaped it. He had intermittences of wandering. He underwent that oscillation of the mind in the unforeseen which alternately pushes us in the direction in which we understand, and then throws us back in that which is incomprehensible. Who has not at some time felt this pendulum in his brain? By degrees, his thoughts dilated in the darkness of the event, as the pupil of his eye had done in the underground shadows at Southwark. The difficulty was to succeed in putting a certain space between accumulated sensations. Before that combustion of hazy ideas, called comprehension, can take place, air must be admitted between the emotions. There, air was wanting. The event, so to speak, could not be breathed. In entering that terrible cell at Southwark, Gwynplaine had expected the iron collar of a felon. They had placed on his head the coronet of a peer. How could this be? There had not been space of time enough between what Gwynplaine had feared and what had really occurred. It had succeeded too quickly, his terror changing into other feelings too abruptly for comprehension. The contrasts were too tightly packed one against the other. Gwynplaine made an effort to withdraw his mind from the vice. He was silent. This is the instinct of great stupefaction, which is more on the defensive than it is thought to be. Who says nothing is prepared for everything? A word of yours, allowed to drop, may be seized in some unknown system of wheels, and your utter destruction be compassed in its complex machinery. The poor and weak live in terror of being crushed. The crowd ever expect to be trodden down. Gwynplaine had long been one of the crowd. A singular state of human uneasiness can be expressed by the words, Let us see what will happen. Gwynplaine was in this state. 
You feel that you have not gained your equilibrium when an unexpected situation surges up under your feet. You watch for something which must produce a result. You are vaguely attentive. We will see what happens. What? You do not know? Whom? You watch. The man with the paunch repeated, You are in your own house, my lord. Gwynplaine felt himself. In surprises, we first look to make sure that things exist. Then we feel ourselves to make sure that we exist ourselves. It was certainly to him that the words were spoken, but he himself was somebody else. He no longer had his jacket on or his esclavine of leather. He had a waistcoat of cloth of silver and a satin coat, which he touched and found to be embroidered. He felt a heavy purse in his waistcoat pocket. A pair of velvet trunk hose covered his clown's tights. He wore shoes with high red heels. As they had brought him to this place, so had they changed his dress. The man resumed. Will your lordship begin to remember this? I am called Barkilfedro. I am clerk to the admiralty. It was I who opened Hard Quinone's flask and drew your destiny out of it. Thus, in the Arabian Nights, a fisherman releases a giant from a bottle. Gwynplaine fixed his eyes on the smiling face of the speaker. Barkilfedro continued, "'Besides this palace, my lord, Hunkerville House, which is larger, is yours. You own Clancharlie Castle, from which you take your title, and which was a fortress in the time of Edward the Elder. You have nineteen bailiwicks belonging to you, with their villages and their inhabitants. This puts under your banner, as a landlord and a nobleman, about eighty thousand vassals and tenants. At Clancharlie you are a judge, judge of all, both of goods and of persons, and you hold your baron's court. The king has no right which you have not, except the privilege of coining money. The king, designated by the Norman law as chief seigneur, has justice, court, and coin. Coin is money so that you, expecting in this last, are as much a king in your lordship as he is in his kingdom. You have the right, as a baron, to a gibbet with four pillars in England, and, as a marquis, to a scaffold with seven posts in Sicily, that of the mere lord having two pillars, that of a lord of the manor three, and that of a duke eight. You are styled prince in the ancient charters of Northumberland, you are related to the Viscounts Valentia in Ireland, whose name is Power, and to the Earls of Umfraville in Scotland, whose name is Angus. You are chief of a clan like Campbell, Ardmanac, and Macklemore. You have eight barons' courts, Reculver, Baston, Hellcurters, Humble, Moracam, Grundraith, Trenwardraith, and others. You have a right over the turf-cutting of Pillinmore, and over the alabaster quarries near Trent. Moreover, you own all the country of Penneth Chase, and you have a mountain with an ancient town on it. The town is called Vinecaunton. The mountain is called Moylenly. All which gives you an income of forty thousand pounds a year. That is to say, forty times the five and twenty thousand francs with which a Frenchman is satisfied. Whilst Barkilfedro spoke, Gwynplaine, in a crescendo of stupor, remembered the past. Memory is a gulf that a word can move to its lowest depths. Gwynplaine knew all the words pronounced by Barkilfedro. They were written in the last lines of the two scrolls which lined the van in which his childhood had been passed.
and, from so often letting his eyes wander over them mechanically, he knew them by heart. On reaching a forsaken orphan, the traveling caravan at Weymouth, he had found the inventory of the inheritance which awaited him, and in the morning, when the poor little boy awoke, the first thing spelt by his careless and unconscious eyes was his own title and its possessions. It was a strange detail added to all his other surprises, that, during fifteen years, rolling from highway to highway, the clown of a traveling theater, earning his bread day by day, picking up farthings, and living on crumbs, he should have traveled with the inventory of his fortune placarded over his misery. Barkilphedro touched the casket on the table with his forefinger. My lord, this casket contains two thousand guineas which Her Gracious Majesty, the Queen, has sent you for your present wants. Gwynplaine made a movement. That shall be for my father Ursus, he said. So be it, my lord, said Burkulphedro. Ursus, at the Tadcaster Inn, the sergeant of the Coif, who accompanied us hither, and is about to return immediately, will carry them to him. Perhaps I may go to London myself. In that case, I will take charge of it. I shall take them to him myself, said Gwynplaine. Barkilphedro smiled disappeared, and he said, Impossible. There is an impressive inflection of voice which, as it were, underlines the words. Barkilphedro's tone was thus emphasized. He paused so as to put a full stop after the word he had just uttered. Then he continued, with the peculiar and respectful tone of a servant who feels that he is master. My lord, you are twenty-three miles from London, at Corleone Lodge, your court residence, contiguous to the royal castle of Windsor. You are here unknown to any one. You were brought here in a closed carriage, which was awaiting you at the gate of the jail at Southwark. The servants who introduced you into this palace are ignorant who you are, but they know me, and that is sufficient." You may possibly have been brought to these apartments by means of a private key which is in my possession. There are people in the house asleep, and it is not an hour to awaken them. Hence we have time for an explanation, which, nevertheless, will be short. I have been commissioned by Her Majesty. As he spoke, Barkilphedro began to turn over the leaves of some bundles of paper which were lying near the casket. My lord, here is your patent of peerage. Here is that of your Sicilian Marquisate. These are the parchments and title deeds of your eight baronies, with the seals of eleven kings, from Baldret, king of Kent, to James, the sixth of Scotland, and first of England, and Scotland united. Here are your letters of precedence. Here are your rent rolls, and titles, and descriptions of your fiefs, freeholds, dependencies, lands, and domains. That which you see above your head in the emblazonment on the ceiling are your two coronets, the circlet with pearls for the baron, and the circlet with strawberry leaves for the marquis. Here, in the wardrobe, is your peer's robe of red velvet, bordered with ermine. Today, only a few hours since the Lord Chancellor and the Deputy Earl Marshal of England informed of the result of your confrontation with the Comprachico Hard Quanon, have taken Her Majesty's commands. Her Majesty has signed them, according to her royal will, which is the same as the law. All formalities have been complied with. 
tomorrow and no later than tomorrow you will take your seat in the house of lords where they have for some days been deliberating on a bill presented by the crown having for its object the augmentation by a hundred thousand pounds sterling yearly of the annual allowance to the duke of cumberland husband of the queen you will be able to take part in the debate barkilphedro paused breathed slowly and resumed however nothing is yet settled a man cannot be made a peer of england without his own consent all can be annulled and disappear unless you acquiesce an event nipped in the bud ere it ripens often occurs in state policy my lord up to this time silence has been preserved on what has occurred the house of lords will not be informed of the facts until to-morrow secrecy has been kept about the whole matter for reasons of state which are of such importance that the influential persons who alone are at this moment cognizant of your existence and of your rights will forget them immediately should reasons of state command their being forgotten that which is in darkness may remain in darkness it is easy to wipe you out the more so as you have a brother the natural son of your father, and of a woman who, afterwards, during the exile of your father, became mistress to King Charles the Second, which accounts for your brother's high position at court. For it is to this brother, bastard though he be, that your peerage would revert. Do you wish this? I cannot think so. Well, all depends on you. The queen must be obeyed. You will not quit the house till to-morrow in a royal carriage, and to go to the House of Lords. My lord, will you be a peer of England, yes or no? The Queen has designs for you. She destines you for an alliance almost royal. Lord Fermain Clancharlie, this is the decisive moment. Destiny never opens one door without shutting another. After a certain step in advance, to step back is impossible. Whoso enters into transfiguration leaves behind him evanescence. My lord, Gwynplaine is dead. Do you understand? Gwynplaine trembled from head to foot. Then he recovered himself. Yes, he said. Barkilphedro, smiling, bowed, placed the casket under his cloak, and left the room. End of section 79 Recording by William Tomko